Hey, welcome. It's good to see you all this morning, at least through the lens of the television here or your computer. I would love to be with you face to face, but this is the best we can do on these circumstances. So welcome, and I, and I hope that you uh, enjoy our day of Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of John, the 19th chapter, is where our story is going to come from today. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38, and we're going to go through verse 42. So let me read to you. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Pause. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices and his burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where they was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, we all have secrets, and secrets we don't want other people to know about because it will change the, maybe the way they think about us or they treat us. Men, maybe you have a secret that you really love reading those romance novels, or you're hooked on the Hallmark Channel like Alan is, or possibly women, you're a gambler and, and poker is your go-to. Maybe you're also a pool hustler and you can't wait to take some money from some unsuspecting person. Uh, maybe, parents, you've got a shady past and you used to grow up around some, uh, some unsavory characters and you really don't want your children to know about it. Men, maybe you're really one of those rough and tough manly men's men, and, uh, but you really secretly have this soft spot for a good children's story. Oh, children's story? Hey, uh, I really like children's stories. That, I, I, I like that. I like children's stories. What's it about? Well, good morning, Sally. I'm so glad you're here with us today. You really like stories? Oh, oh yeah. I, I love to listen to a good story. Do, do you know one? I sure do. I know a story about a man at Easter. Oh, I know, I, I, I know that one. It's about Jesus dying on the cross. Well, you're right. Jesus is in the story of Easter. But I want to talk to our church today about a different man that is in that Easter story. A man that changes things. If he weren't in this story, then our whole story of Easter would be something totally different. Oh, who is that man? What, what did he do? Uh, what made such a... What made, what made him such a big difference? Well, before I, I tell you the story, can you keep a secret? Well, I, I sure can. Uh, secrets are, are, are great to have. You want to hear one? I know one about Alan. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear a secret about Alan. Telling me his secret isn't keeping it. You know, if someone shares a secret with you, you're supposed to keep that secret and not tell anybody else. I know some people say that secrets are, are meant to be broken, but, but that's not true. You see, which is why we do our best to keep our secrets secret. Oh, okay. I, I, I promise I won't tell anyone, anyone, what, right. what, 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 well, what is your secret? Well, if, if you really 
really promised not to tell anybody. I'll tell you. I, I do, 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 do. I, I really promise not to tell anybody, anybody. Okay, well, well, here it is. My secret is that I believe that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he was buried, and three days later he came back to life. Everybody knows that. Why, why, why would you keep that as a secret? <laughs> well, sadly, Sally, not everybody believes it. And, 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 and they, they look down on other people who believe that too. And I'm afraid that if I let people know that, that they might, they might think of me different. They might tease me. They may not be my friend anymore. And so I'm just going to keep that secret to myself. John, I think it's time you broke your secret and let everybody know that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and his resurrection. Well, Sally, I guess you're right. Maybe from now on, I'm going to tell everybody that I believe that Jesus not only died, but that he came back to life again. It's been good having you with us. And, 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 you know, the secret in our story today that I want to talk about is about this other man, and his secret is about to be broken, too. And, and so why don't you go down and sit with your parents, and, and I'll tell you and everybody else about this story that we find in the book of John. Well, you see, not all the faces about the cross were sinister and, and unfriendly. There were some that were very full of compassion and kindness and tenderness. And among these kind faces was a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was from a town called Arimathea, just outside of Jerusalem there. And, and he was also on the ruling council of the Jews in Jerusalem. Well, he enters into the story here of Jesus at the very end, or really, maybe it's the beginning. But as he comes into our story... He, he now is, is here to have this conversation with us because of his compassion for Jesus. John the Apostle, as he's writing the story of Jesus in his gospel letter, he now comes to this crucifixion scene of Jesus, and it appears that the story is just about over. And, and Jesus dies upon the cross, and in just a few short hours, being there. And all of his disciples have left and he's all alone there on the cross, except for those who are jeering him and mocking him. And, but John is there as well. He's kind of hung around just to see what's happening and, and to be there with Jesus' mother, Mary, to give her comfort in the hour of Jesus' passing. Well, with it being during the week of Passover, the soldiers are going to have to take the bodies down off the crosses really soon because part of the Jewish law was that they should not remain on a cross or on a tree or gallows beyond sunset on Friday because of the Sabbath. And so as the law of Moses had ordered them not to even let criminals hang there, they would have to come down. Joseph, knowing that that was about to take place and the soldiers were going to take Jesus off the cross, he made his way over to Pilate. And he went in and he asked Pilate if he could have the body of Jesus so that he could bury that body. Now, if he didn't do this, Jesus would have just been buried in a common criminal's grave there out in the Valley of Gehenna or maybe thrown on the fire to burn, which is what they did a lot of the times for those who were criminals that had just come off the cross. But he went to Pilate, and he asked him if he could have Jesus' body and that he might bury it in his own tomb. Well, surprisingly, Pilate said, go ahead, 
<laughs> That's a little bit different because usually it's only the family who get to come in and take the body of one of the criminals. But Joseph and his friend Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, they, they gather together and, and they collect all the herbs and spices and ointments that are going to be needed for a proper Jewish burial ceremony. And so they head back down to Golgotha, and, and after the soldiers have taken the body of Jesus down off the cross, they then are given his body, and they prepare him just as quickly as they can because sunset is coming in just a short while. And so they take and they carry his body, and they put it, and they lay it inside Joseph's family tomb, this tomb that, that had been cut just specifically for him. It was a brand new tomb, and a tomb that was made only for his family, and so after they have done all this, the Roman soldiers are there to make sure that Jesus stays in his tomb because there had been some scuttlebutt about maybe him rising again. And, and so Rome wanted to make sure that no one came and took his tomb and then proclaimed that he was alive. And so they set up these soldiers there to protect that tomb. And they placed the stone in front of the entrance and they sealed it with the Roman seal, which allowed anybody to know that if they touched it or if they did anything, it was illegal and they would be in much trouble. But not only did they do that, but then they set a Roman guard outside this tomb to protect it and make sure nobody came in. Now what this secret disciple Joseph did was fulfilling what had been promised and prophesied in the Old Testament years before. If you have your Bibles, look in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and we'll see at verse 9, as Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah and what was to take place, we see these words spoken. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So, what's so great about Joseph? That's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves. What is so different? What is so special about Joseph? Well, let me tell you a few things about him. First off, he was a man of wealth. Now, we know that, it, that money is not necessarily a badge of honor that we need to have, and it doesn't turn us into somebody that's, that's uh, great with virtue. It doesn't make a hero out of a man simply because he's got a lot of money, but it also doesn't make him a villain because he's rich too. The Bible looks at money in a unique way. It, it says that money is neither moral nor immoral. Really, it's, it's amoral. It has no values. It has no morals to it because it can't do anything. Matter of fact, money, whether it does good or does bad, is based upon the individual who possesses it. The fact that Joseph was rich it does not mean that, that he had anything that was greater than anybody else, except he had the ability, because of his wealth, to do either more good or more hurt and harm to those around him, other than somebody who might be poor. But Joseph wasn't only a man of wealth, he was also a man of high position. He had both social and political status in his day. He was, he was an aristocrat because of his wealth, and, and so he was one of those blue bloods. But not only that, he was also a member of the Jewish ruling council there in Jerusalem. He was selected to be a position of their court to determine the fate of individuals as, as they would come before him. Matter of fact, it was that very court that Joseph was a part of that had just the night before met and determined that Jesus was guilty of blaspheme and they wanted to sentence him to die. It was probably at that court that Joseph 
kept silent and didn't say anything at all. But now he's got to do something. While his position is not necessity of worth, just like having a lot of money, but it can also be used as an instrument of power. So Joseph, therefore, with his wealth, with his position, he had the ability to be useful or harmful to the cause and the purpose of Christ. Joseph was also, we understand, a man of upstanding character. At least that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that he was a good and an upright man. And since he was a good man, then we can believe that that he used his money and his position of power not for his own benefit, for his own advancement in life, but he probably used it for the betterment of other people as well. You see, he was a good man. But Joseph was also loyal to the faith and the religion of his people. As a good man being able to put in the position of this ruling council, they would have had to have trust what he thought about faith and what he thought about scriptures. And the prophets of Israel had sought to lead this generation to expect the dawning of a new and a better day. And in their foresight, they spoke of a day in which, which men would turn their swords into to farming implements and they would no longer wage wars or battle against one another. They believed that a time was coming when, when justice would flow down like water and righteousness like, like an ever-flowing mighty stream. And, and, and they had this, this hope for a better day. And it was for this better world that they worked for and they prayed for. Joseph had come to share in these wonderful, refreshing dreams of the people of Israel. Therefore, he was daily taking his place in his watchtower, looking forward to the the history and and, and the forewarning of this coming of a, a better day for life for the people of Israel. And he was looking and working for what he perceived to be the kingdom of God. And now he saw that being fulfilled in Jesus. But finally, I think, and best of all, Joseph, he was a disciple. I mean, secretly he was a disciple, but he was still a disciple. One day, this man of wealth, this man of power and position, this man of character and high morals and expectations, he had come face to face with Jesus. We don't know when it was. We don't know the scenario that took place in that story, but he met Jesus. And we look at the contrast between these two. One of them was a peasant, the other one was a noble. One was from a carpenter's home, the other lived in a mansion. But in spite of the differences that divided them, when Jesus invited this aristocrat to become one of his followers, he silently and secretly accepted that call. He didn't go away sad as that rich young ruler did and so many of the other outsiders in society. But on the contrary, at that moment, he then and there dared to himself become a disciple of Jesus. The fact of that speaks volumes about his character. There were not many people of his rank and his position that were Pharisees and and rulers in Israel that were willing to actually accept and follow Jesus at this time. So, really, what could be so wrong about Joseph? Well, there's a lot of good things we can say about him, but, but what could be something that's negative about him? I mean, though he was friendly, he, he wasn't quite the friend that you and I might choose to be a friend for ourselves because as he was a disciple, his discipleship, like man of many of us, it had its own problems. I mean, 
I think it was because Joseph lacked one fine virtue which everybody admires. And it's admired by the young and the old. It's admired by those who were cultured and uncultured, by by the civilized and by the barbarian. It's a virtue that that Joseph seemed to be short of. At least we might have think about that, which is courage. He lacked the courage. He was just too timid to confess his faith in Jesus publicly and openly and to let other people know that he believed in him. Now, had he met Jesus alone, he most likely would have enjoyed a conversation with him and enjoyed every moment he got to spend with him. But had he been around Jesus when his other friends and the other Pharisees and the other teachers of the law might have been there, most likely Joseph would have acted like he didn't even know him at all. And so he was silent in those things. You see, he was a disciple, but he was a disciple secretly because he was afraid of what the Jews might say or what they might do to him. I mean, that's pretty harsh to say, but, but there are some who would, who would even suggest that Joseph really wasn't a disciple at all. Remember how sternly Jesus spoke and he warns about not telling other people about who he is? In Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 32 and 33, Jesus makes this statement. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Well, let's think about Joseph in that context. You see, John plainly declares that he was a disciple, and Joseph indicated it by what he does much later in our story. I imagine we all have met a few secret disciples along our journey of faith, those who really want to believe, but they don't want others to know about it. And while we're sure that secret discipleship is a possibility, I think we're equally sure that it's very rare and it's not healthy. So what is being a secret disciple? Does that please God? Or does God look at it in a different way? I, I, I'm thinking trying to, to live secretly as a disciple increases the problems that you might have. I mean, it makes being a Christian more difficult. To be a genuine Christian and a disciple on any terms, it involves difficulty, it involves struggle. And sometimes when we're sharing our faith in order to make disciples, we'll fail to do that face-to-face with other people. And we f- don't face the fact that there really is a hardship in it. But however, Jesus never made that mistake. He always told us that following him was going to be difficult. Matter of fact, he said that because they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. He also told us that that he was going to be very forthcoming about the expectations we would have in following him. He said that you're going to have to deny yourself and daily take up your cross and follow him. And so... To be a Christian means you're going to struggle or you're going to have battles in this life. But, but to be a Christian secretly is going to make those struggles even harder and all the more difficult because you're having to do that all on your own. But of course, Joseph didn't decide to keep his discipleship a secret. At this point in our story, he lets it all out there and everybody finds out that he's a disciple. I mean, he wasn't trying to find the hardest way to be a Christian. He was just simply trying to find the easiest way to be a Christian. Yet he actually chose the most difficult path to follow 
secrecy. And not only did Joseph increase his difficulty by choosing to be the secret disciple, but he also increased his danger of failure at it as well. But no more. No more. He was, he was done. He was finished hiding out. He didn't care who knew any longer. No more was he going to do that. He was done sneaking around at night trying to listen to Jesus' teaching. No more would he stay in the shadows and long to, to be sitting right next to Jesus. No longer did he care about his image or his social standing or his position in government. He wanted to serve Jesus the only way he had left to give him a proper burial to give him his very own grade, the grave that he just had dug out of the rock. There in the garden, just down the hill from Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. So why would he do it? Why would he acknowledge Jesus now? I mean, everybody in Jerusalem is sooner or later going to hear about his open confession that he wants to take Jesus and bury him. They'll find out that he's a believer in Jesus. And I can imagine that, that the news produced, even at that time, was kind of a bit of a sensation. I mean, some people said that they suspected it all along. They knew he was secretly a disciple. Some people were probably shocked. Others were, were grieved. And I'll guarantee you there were some who were very angry at Joseph for accepting the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. The friends of Jesus, they're going to rejoice about his becoming a disciple, but not quite yet. Down the road after Jesus raises from the dead and they recognize what Joseph has done for him, I think then they're going to celebrate his faith and his commitment to him. But the greatest joy, I think, at this moment was that of Joseph himself. In the days to come, he would be excited to tell others about how the master whom he'd once been afraid to confess before people had forgiven him and, and, and had, had come to love him and to trust him as if he had never failed at all. And in the coming years also, there were probably many others who, who would, would come to him and thank him for what he had done by giving their Lord a proper burial. But Joseph, I don't think he could hear those words of gratitude without the pain that came with it because of where he had been before Jesus died. You see, if it had only been a day earlier that he had confessed that he had known Jesus, what he could have done for him then, I mean, he could have given him a home, he could have given him finances to help take care of him, he could have helped him out in a, in a great way, maybe introduced him to people that, that really secretly also wanted to know him, but it was too late. You see, his story really is very human. It's just like yours and mine. He had the same trappings that we have in this life. And often it seems we have to lose someone before we really appreciate who they are. Too often we send the sweetest flowers to those who will never enjoy them at their funeral. I mean, we speak our most tender words into ears that can no longer hear and to hearts that can no longer grow warm and tender because of it. We often just wait too long to share with people the love that we have. And Joseph felt he did that as well. Well, we rejoice with Joseph because he did become an open disciple of Jesus. And by doing so, he found a better life 
that he had ever known he would have before. But we can't shut our eyes to the fact that he missed a great deal more because he didn't embrace it earlier on in life. Perhaps there are some of you today who you are just like Joseph. You're trying to be a Christian without letting other people know about it. Maybe, maybe you're, you're a father and, and you, in your heart you're seeking to be obedient to God, but you're really not telling your children that you believe. Maybe, maybe you, you, you're just struggling at work and your co-workers have no idea that you're really a Christian. But believe me, you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself out on something that is wonderful. Five years from now, ten years perhaps, something will bring you to an open confession that you don't care who thinks about you or what people think about you anymore. But the joy that you're going to find then cannot possibly mean as much as that which is offered to you today. In fact, there will never be another hour in all of eternity that an open confession of your faith that you believe in Jesus Christ can mean as much to yourself as it means right now. Because later you'll regret that you haven't done it. The one right way to be a disciple is to be one who is open and honest and displays your faith in Him rather than secretly hiding it away. The right time to be a disciple is the present. I saw on Facebook earlier this week, Rob Rash had shared it on one of his Facebook posts, and, and, and it caught me, and I thought I want to close this out with this. Terry Jean uh, Bollea, he's better known as Hulk Hogan. He's the most recognized wrestling figure in the world today, and he recently made this statement on his Instagram post. And it was about faith during the trying times that we have during this pandemic. Listen to what Hulk Hogan has to say. He says, Word up. Can you handle the truth, my brother? Only love. HH. In three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down the stadiums. You want to worship music musicians? I'll shut down the civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I'll make it where you can't go to church. And then listen what this, he quotes scripture and he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Hulk Hogan closes out his statement by saying this, Maybe we don't need a vaccine. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters, Jesus. You see, that's what Easter is all about. It's to, to take our thoughts and our minds off of everything else in this world 
to forget about work, to forget about money, to forget about anything and everything that distracts you and just focus on Jesus and what He has done. He has risen from death into life. And believe me, His resurrection is where we get the forgiveness of our sins. Because if He had not raised from the dead, you and I are still in our sins. And our faith is useless. It's futile. It's a failure. But the resurrection of Jesus, there is power. And so we confess that we believe that not only He had died on a cross, because everybody believes that. Not only was He buried, because it'd be foolish not to think that He was buried but that he actually rose from the grave alive. Now that takes faith. And faith in the resurrection of Jesus opens up an eternity for us in heaven. Today, as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, may you openly and honestly confess it before all the world that you believe in him and that you're his disciple. And if you've never done that, turn to somebody right there in the room with you right now. Call on somebody on the phone. Do a Snapchat or a Facebook Messenger or whatever it is. Let somebody else know that you believe and that you're giving your life over to him. And don't stop there. From that point on, continue to be obedient to him. Surrender yourself. Be baptized into his name for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and life that is everlasting. We can make that happen. Even in social distancing, we'll baptize you wherever and whenever. And we'll encourage you to be faithful to Jesus no matter what. May you celebrate this day of Easter and recognize that it's not about the places and the things or anything else in this world. It's all about Him, Jesus, the only one that you need. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for today that you have reminded us about the celebration that took place when Jesus came out of that grave and when he encountered his disciples and the women there. And and Father, more than 500 who had an opportunity to see him face to face and to talk with him for those 40 days after his death and his burial, he was alive. And Father, he is alive even today, just as Stephen says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we look forward to seeing him come again in all of his glory as King of kings and Lord of lords. And until then, may we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus so all the world can hear. And it's in his name, amen. Thank you all. Alan's going to come and share with us our time of communion. So if you want to pull together your things and prepare for that, we look forward to having this meal together, even though we may be separate. God bless you all.